I would like to speak to you today about the golden rule. Treat others in the same way that you would like them to treat you or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule is the essence of the Christian faith. It is said that Christianity is not a religion of adjectives, but a religion of verbs. It is a doing faith, an action faith, and even an activist faith. The ideas of equality, mutuality, and charity are essentially what Christianity has given to the human family. To treat others in the same way that you want to be treated is also the unwritten or default position of the human community. What is the measure of our life in community if it is not to create a bond between and amongst us? We are at our best when we practice the golden rule. Similarly, so much of what is wrong with our communities is the result of our failure to treat the other persons as we ourselves would like to be treated. This is what violence and poverty and misery and selfishness are about, the failure to treat others how we want to be treated. This is a time that we have been forced to come to terms with what is most important about ourselves, what makes us human, what makes us Christian, what makes us into a community. And yet this is precisely where we are failing. Some of the most tragic and dreadful incidents that have happened amongst us are because we fail to put ourselves in the other person's position and to treat them as we would like to be treated. Let me call attention to some things that are at the base of the golden rule to treat each other as we want to be treated and that are required of us in order for us to be able to obey the golden rule to treat each other as we would like to be treated. In the first place, the golden rule is a rule that requires social solidarity as the basis of our community. In many societies, social solidarity is planned into the society. It begins with a common education institution or a common public education system. Others have a public transportation system that facilitates this social solidarity among citizens a place where all the social classes meet. It is a space in which to remind the society of its oneness. It is a space for the classes to meet as citizens and to aspire together and to learn together and to share their common joys together and to talk about their common struggles together. In our society, the closest we come to social solidarity is when we meet in halfway tree to watch our athletes perform on the international arena like the Olympics or the World Championships. This is where we affirm our national identity. This pandemic could have had a similar impact, except that in many respects, that social solidarity is slipping away from us. Other peoples 
affirm this social solidarity in their constitution. They speak about we the people believe that all persons are created equally, equal, and are endowed with certain inalienable rights. This is to affirm that there is a common humanity and there is a common equality and deriving from that there is mutuality and solidarity. This social solidarity is in Jamaica is not common as it used to be. We have two Jamaicas that hardly ever meet each other. The idea of treating the other person in a manner that we would like to be treated dispenses with the idea that some are more equal than others. This is the very thing that is fundamentally awry with our society. This is a Jamaican society that likes to believe that it has only one, one class, the moneyed class. All its systems are aimed at serving that class, that are the haves. And it assumes that if you do not have, it is because something is wrong with you and you better get with the program. The golden rule requires us to put ourselves as kith and kin with those that are left out. Kith and kin with those that are left behind. Kith and kin with those that are excluded. Kith and kin with those who are victims. Kith and kin with those that are casualties of man's inhumanity to man. And kith and kin with those that are fallen along the wayside. We belong together and we have a duty to each other and we must intentionally and voluntarily put ourselves in the place mm. of the other person. Secondly, treating each other the way we want to be treated requires an ethic of self-giving. In other words, to understand this, the Bible tells the story of the good Samaritan. Samaritan. The Samaritan is what you would call the scum of the earth, the wretched of the soil. He was the last person from whom anything exemplary or worthwhile was expected. So what the parable is, is an example of from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if the Samaritan could do it, any one of us can do it. The story is of a man who was mugged and robbed and left half dead along the roadside by those who robbed him. The religious functionaries came along and did nothing to help this man, but passed him on the other side of the road. Then came the scum of the earth, the person on whom the society poured scorn, who does not get recommendations and certainly has no access to the important spaces in the society. We have there in the story, the self-dealing and self-serving by which so much of our society live and operate. Nothing for nothing and very little for your money. The bottom line is the only line. Anything for a profit. And if a few old people have to die, and if a few underclass that work in the service industry and cannot work from home have to die, so be it. It is the what you call the collateral damage, the price you have to pay to get prosperity going. Well, what if 
the old people were your mother or grandmother? What if you got the virus? Would you still think that money and profit are the ultimate good? There are, of course, those whose only ethic is self-preservation, self-protection, and self-promotion. It is me first, me second, me third. Don't pay attention to the adjectives and the flower word. Look at my action. Will I ever lift a finger, nay detain myself for one moment or take a detour in the interest of those fallen along the wayside of life? Do I even see them? Will I take a chance on them? Never. And yet, remarkably, we have stories and examples too many that it is precisely the people for whom our community refuses to take a chance. It is the communities to which we will not go and risk contamination and risk becoming disreputable in the eyes of those whose opinion matter to us. It is those people and those underserved communities from which the videos and the memes of horror come and the stories that titillate us come. These are the people, these are the communities that have put this country on the map and caused this country to punch above mm. its weight class in world affairs. It is the scum, the wretched ones, the nay, the ones who live for nothing that often turn around and become our overachiever and those from among whom are the finest examples of human goodness. This ethic calls us like the Samaritan to stop and notice, to bend over and pour oil and wine on their wounds. It, is, it calls us to put them in our place and put ourselves in their place. It calls us to dig deep into our own resources. It calls us to use the occasion to build a relationship with them, to come back the next day and to make this more than a chance encounter. In a word, to give ourselves, not just to give our money, to dig deep into our humanity and to offer ourselves. This is what is required. There are too many people that need us to put them in our place and put ourselves in their place to engage in solidarity and to practice the ethic of self-giving. Treat each other in the same way you desire to be treated calls for social solidarity. It calls for the ethic of self-giving. And thirdly, it calls for the imagination of hope. I do not know if there's ever it has ever happened to you when you are about mm. to eat your evening meal and suddenly you start to think about starving children or some person that day in utter misery you passed along the way. And by the time you are finished thinking, you are so overwhelmed that you cannot even finish your meal. Treat each other in the way you desire to be treated is a gesture of hope. It does not say treat people how they have treated you, for then you would become vengeful. Nor does it say treat them how you think they would treat you, 
because then you would become cynical and bitter. It says, treat them how you would wish them to treat you. It is to believe that you can make a difference, that you can break the cycle of selfishness and hope. The Good Samaritan did not feel any need to continue the self-dealing and self-serving of the thieves, nor did he feel any obligation to keep up the pattern of the religious luminaries of self-preservation and self-promotion. No, he could create a new day and a new way. He could break new frontiers and cross new horizons. He could act locally and think globally. He could begin to think of every victim. He could pick up that one man left half dead along the Jericho Road with its meandering paths and its multiple exits and its easy escapes. He would start with that man on the roadside, but he would not stop until he had fixed Jericho Road itself, that space that gives cover to the self-serving and the self-preserving -pre mm. and that space that demands the response of self-giving. It is time for us to imagine a world that gives each other a chance to live like we do. This is certainly not the best we can do. We do not well. We have built a world for some people, but not for other people. We do not well when those who use our wood and draw our water are the first to die in our pandemic because their nutrition is poor and they cannot afford to get the health care they need because they live in crowded space and cannot afford to work from home. We must obey the golden rule for their sake and put our political and moral imagination mm. to work, deployed to build a better world for them also. We cannot be content to live in the lap of luxury while those at our gates who would even eat the crumbs that fall from our table live in utter misery. We cannot continue to ignore the utter misery and indignity of the circumstances in which too many of our people live. Livingston, the Bishop of Liverpool said, we must live simple so that others may simply live. It is time to imagine a community in which others are treated as we desire to be treated. We have a golden opportunity to obey the golden rule. Let us treat each other how we want to be treated. Amen. My friend Garnet, good morning. Thank you again for, as usual, a very enlightening and stimulating discourse today. You talked to us about the golden rule and you really opened it up to us in terms of a call to social solidarity among ourselves as human beings grounded of course in this religious perspective coming out of the scriptures do unto others as you'd have them do unto you and then moving us into this greater call in light of the existence of someone of the scum of, like the scum of the earth the samaritan and how he chose 
by responding differently than how others would have expected him to respond, to move toward healing, and I guess, in, 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 in your own words, recreating these bonds of solidarity, which then are asking of us questions, particularly in this time of COVID, around how we can recreate those bonds of solidarity by giving ourselves and those kinds of approaches that so many of us in privileges, privileged spaces find so difficult to attain or even to, to aspire towards, because we just don't see those things as valuable or meaningful because, as you say, what's important for us is the bottom line. I'm concerned with prosperity and so on. And I certainly, as usual, I enjoyed and found myself challenged by the message that you brought, and I hope many others would be too. I'll say a couple of things. I. You know, I stand in a very strongly progressive Christian space, if that's a good way to describe self. Not so sure what's a good description. So I note how you rooted the golden rule as central to Christianity, and that's what makes Christianity Christianity, and that Christianity is activist and verb-based and so on. And I always take a little bit of a hitch around claims of that sort, which seems to suggest a sort of singularity to Christianity that excludes similar positions or spaces within other religious uh, communities and so on. And I don't actually know if I hold that that's the case. Uh, I, for example, to suggest that the Golden Rule is Christian and Christian alone, I think may be stretching something a little bit because the Golden Rule in some way, shape or form exists in all religious traditions. And in fact, you, you'll find it in a lot of human cultural traditions, perhaps in various proverbs and so on. So the quickest one that comes to my mind is the story from the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, around some unbeliever going to rabbis and asking, could you just give me a quickie um, course on Judaism, you know? What is Judaism if I was just standing on one leg? One uh, rabbi gets vexed and run him for his rudeness, and then he goes to Rabbi Hillel, I believe it is, and Hillel says, standing on one foot, reciting all that Judaism is, all right, Judaism is that which is hateful to you, you do not do to another. The rest, that, that is the law and the Torah. That's the Torah. Uh, everything else is commentary. And so, even before we get into the spaces of Christianity, we are Judeo-Christians and we know that our Christian faith uh, is built on and bonded with and comes out of the Jewish community of which we are a part and very much strongly linked. So just pointing out that the golden rule exists in other ways, shapes or forms in other spaces. And so it has a lot to recommend it in spaces beyond Christianity. And so that Talmudic story, I think, is, is fascinating for what it says about that space and um, shows the deep roots of the Christian golden rule, not just something that we have pulled out of the air or that we can only locate in um, the Christ story, but divinity has allowed us to have that larger connection across religious spaces that I think is worth reflecting on. I, as, as an ethicist, I look at different sort of approaches to ethics and what your presentation this morning made me think about is someone that we would call an ethical egoist. So an ethical egoist functions according to anything that is going to bring benefit for the individual, for the person. You know, so you're not looking at it in terms of um, action towards a greater 
towards the greater good, you know, that which maximizes pleasure or maximizes the good, or that which, so you're talking about a sort of teleological or consequentialist perspective, or even a deontological perspective from which you look at it in terms of action on the basis of principle um, rule. Nothing else matters, so the consequences are not important. What you're going to look at is simply what's the principle on which you should be acting. Yeah? So in, in a certain way, for example, our golden rule is uh, deontological. But in another way, it's also consequentialist as well, because in the way you have presented your argument this morning, it's clear that how you have delineated for us the different outcomes from taking the golden rule to heart also has that consequentialist perspective to it. What I think could perhaps be added to your reflection is the whole notion of the fact that an ethical egoist can work from a perspective that actually works consequentially, meaning that while that egoist is thinking only of him or herself, the truth of it is that if an egoist really wants to benefit and, and, and to be in a, a position of welfare and good and so on. That egoist is called upon necessarily to take account of the impact of action and self and so on on the others around. Because the mistake too many of us make, particularly those of us that are in positions of privilege, and maybe not only us in positions of privilege, but others as well, um, who are in so-called Samaritan spaces, who are so-called scum of the earth, is that those very bonds of solidarity that you keep calling us to, they exist whether we acknowledge them or not. And so the truth of it is that when one aspect of our society, one group in our society, find themselves disadvantaged, and we believe that we benefit from their disadvantage, what we're actually not seeing is the fact that their disadvantage impacts us as well. So I, I, I quickly think of somebody like Tanya Stephen that is, is effective saying to us in one or two of our pieces that, you know, um, that's why we put ourselves behind these uh, gated communities and so on, because we think that that is protecting us. But had we done what we needed to do to ensure that others were included in our social space then and, and, and benefited from the fruits of our society, then there would be no need or there would be less of a need for us to be hiding behind these high walls and these gated communities because in fact we have created conditions by which we have made ourselves unsafe and then we have tried to protect ourselves by doing exactly what we're doing which really is not making us safe. It's not a convoluted argument by any means but it allows me to think through the ethical egoist position to say that anyone that's a true ethical egoist is actually someone that has to have concern for the larger society because for an ethical egoist to have the best benefit, the welfare, the care, the comfort in the social space, that ethical egoist ought to make sure that others in the social space are included, that they are taken care of, that their health needs are uh, taken account of, that they are given opportunities to participate in building up the society, participate in the economics and the welfare of society for their own human benefit and so on. So there's a, it, it, it's, it's a fascinating twist, I think, on the ethical egoist position, which is not sufficiently countenanced. Listening to you this morning as well, I think, brought to my mind Micah, I think it's Micah 6 verse 8, where divinity says um, man, human being, humanity, I can tell you what is good. What is good is that you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. And 
to me that's another reflection of this golden rule which we can say standing on one leg maybe even standing on tiptoe bless you my brother always thank you very much anna for the interaction and the pushing the boundaries and calling you know for you know a deeper and longer reflection i want to begin with kind of where you end with this tanya stevens example of the gated community being a consequence of our failure to carry out the golden rule and to acknowledge that that is the case that what one is saying is that if we were to change the approach to how we live from a self-dealing and self-promoting and self-preservation to a self-giving and establishing and acknowledging the bond of solidarity, which as you correctly said, already exists. I think that we wouldn't need these gated communities and we wouldn't have to live behind barbed wire fence and, you know, burglar bars and so on, because it is precisely the failure to acknowledge the other in the economic, social and political philosophies that we pursue that has left us where we are. I didn't think I was making an exclusivist claim about what the golden rule is for Christianity. I was I was perhaps thinking about my file, and my file is a section of the church that is a words-only religion, that is very focused on its own ecstasy and its own prospect of heaven to the neglect of an activist social ethic. And it is in that context that I was trying to describe not something peculiar to Christianity, but something mm. which goes to the heart of what Christianity offers, which is to fulfill the law and the prophets in how I treat my neighbor. And by treating them not only as myself, but as Christ. And I think I was imagining the Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan as a, a type of, of Christ, an, ex, an embodiment of Christ in placing the man instead of himself on the donkey. I, I think I didn't have a, a deontology, an ethic of duty in mind. I really had a virtue ethic because I was really trying to suggest that the ethic arises out of a sense of what I am as a human being, a neighbor, every man's equal and every man my equal, every person my equal. And I think I really was arguing for a virtue ethic. But, you know, we, we, we don't need to disagree on this. What we, we are together saying is that this um, golden rule is at the heart of humanity and the human community. And religion, when they are at their finest and purest, come to affirm this principle of social solidarity and mm. of a self-giving ethic. And, and uh, well, I, I, I felt that my, my, if I were to ever claim cleverness, my clincher was the imagination of hope constructing a world for everybody, including the least of these. You know, I, I think that that's where I see it. But I think you know that I'm imagining these conversations 
in the context of a public policy that has been found wanting, that is creating more and more of abject poverty of people who do not know themselves, who mutilate themselves and mutilate themselves in the form of the violence they do to their brothers and sisters. And I think what it is that one is trying to do is to have a conversation outside of very um, particularized religious language with a wider constituency in the hope that one can stimulate um, even further and greater conversation, influencing both law and policy and fiscal priorities.